little something I, I wrote years ago. I thought I'd just read it. I was going through some old papers and thought I'd read it to you before we start. It kind of relates to what we're going to talk about today. Thanks, buddy. It's called Entering His Rest. Religion tells us to work for God. Jesus tells us to believe on His work for us. Religion tells us to remember our sins. Jesus tells us to remember Him who took away our sin. Religion tells us to focus on indwelling sin. Jesus tells us to focus on indwelling righteousness because we are new creations in Him. Religion loves the law. Jesus loves people. Religion emphasizes the outward appearance of the flesh. Jesus emphasizes the inner reality of the Spirit. Religion is blind. Jesus can give us new sight. Religion makes you weary. Jesus refreshes you. Religion is boring. Jesus is an adventure. Religion works hard to earn God's love and acceptance. Jesus calls us to enter his rest and receive as a free gift his love and acceptance. Religion is death. Jesus is life. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll, I'll get it on the, uh, on the website, I guess. Wrote, wrote this in 1996. Remember, Ken, we handed these out? Yeah, the conference, right? Yep. Uh, you know what? what's so cool about the truth? It never gets, this is 20 years ago. Never gets stale, and it just gets richer and richer and richer. Awesome. When I was, had a mixture of law and grace in my thinking as a believer for about 10 years, I just started getting burned out and weary and a little leaven, leaven is the whole lump. After a while, you know, you just, after a while, you just either, like Clark says, you either give up and say, I'll just, I'll just try to make it on my own. I can't live this life. I can't be holy enough. I can't be godly enough. Or pride makes you play the game and you, you stay in and you say, you know, put a big mask on and you start judging other people to make yourself feel better. Both ways are just death. But when I really begin to understand what Jesus did and who he was and the reality of the new covenant. It's just, it's an, it's an unending spring. Just like he said, just like he promised, he who comes to me and believes on me will never hunger again and never thirst again. Under law or the mixture of law and grace, I hungered and I thirst, thirsted all the time because I was never satisfied, never thinking I was doing enough for God, never thinking he was accepting me enough. But when you see the truth, you can truly rest his yoke is easy. His burden is light. We shall find rest for our souls. I have found it in him. And over the years, it just gets richer and richer and richer as the roots go down deep into the reality of Christ. Be rooted in the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are be- being built up at the same time. Invisibly, the roots go down. Invisibly, you can't see the roots of a tree, but you can see visibly the manifestation of this deep root as it comes forth and fruit is born it just gets richer and richer. It's awesome. Because we are planted by a river. There may be droughts all around us, but we are planted by another source. Another source. That's why when Moses saw the burning bush, he said, let me look at this sight. Strange sight. 
A bush that burns but is not consumed. A bush that burns but that is not consumed is a picture of a bush containing the fire of God. But the fire of God is not using the bush for its energy. Which, so the bush remains the bush. It's not being burned up by God. God doesn't burn us up when he uses us. He, he wants us to rest in his fire. And we as little bushes will not be consumed in that rest. He just burns within himself, for himself, to himself, an engulfing flame, the scripture describes God, uh, an all-consuming fire that doesn't need me for fuel. A bush that will not burn out because he, his fire is foreign. He just has pleasure. to get, he, wants, he wants to give me his fire so he can live through me. But it's his life living through me. Life manifested. The key word, the key word saints, Clark asked me to speak at the, the main meeting October 14th. And I've been praying about what I'm going to share October 14th. But I think what I'm going to talk about is this heavenly dynamic of how... The life of God reproduces himself in us. What is the behind the dynamic? Remember how John said, the life was manifested, and we beheld the life, and we touched and we handled it? That's the thinking. That's God's thinking. Life being manifested. As opposed to God working on you. To make you a better person. It is containing life. A fire that does not consume you. And the manifestation of the life. Through the renewal of the mind. As the mind catches up to what is real in the spirit. The life is simply manifested. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's, the, way, that's the way of God. That's why it's referred to as the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the life. When you see an orange on an orange tree. What you're seeing when you see the orange is a manifestation of orange life. You see that? Orange life comes up and it manifests. It's not trying to be an orange tree. It is an orange tree. So the orange life comes up and it first comes out with a flower and fragrance. And there's a reason for that. And then... The fruit comes forth after the fragrance. The beauty of the flower and then the fruit. That's a manifestation of life, orange life. And we taste it and we say, wow, that's a good orange. And that's how God manifests his life in us. It's a rest from beginning to end. It is us living by another life. Life being manifested. Not life being manipulated or life being fixed or life being worked on I, I, I don't I hate those phrases that we use in the church sometimes about God's still working on me no he's not <laughs> if he's working on you why is he sitting down <laughs> having finished his work right. if he's still working on you then why does it say God has ceased from his work and he has called you to enter into his rest as he did cease from his work if you will enter his rest you too shall cease from your work If he's still working on you, then what does that mean? You see? He's not still working on anybody. What he's doing is continually 
shining on you. It's a difference. He's constantly revealing himself to us. Because before you were born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot see the invisible reality of God. You could know him. You could understand him. Because who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? But now that you and I have the Spirit of God, the one thing the Spirit does is show you him. And all that belongs to him, the Christ. And now to you, because you're in him. So it's a shining. It's a glowing. It's a, it's a radiance. As Moses looked at the glory of God and his face began to shine, he began to become what he was looking at. I wouldn't call that working on me. I would call that revealing to me what is. Because when, when the mind is renewed to what is, you'll find out that you're already there, seated with him in heavenly places. We're not, it's, it's not a ladder that we climb. To get to him. He is Jacob's ladder. And he's already made the climb. He's come down. And he's gone back up. He's finished the work. And now by simply believing. It is of God that we've been placed in Christ Jesus. So we pass. From this realm to another realm. From the kingdom of this darkness. To the kingdom of the beloved son. In a parallel universe. I'll never forget that night. When we were on vacation. I looked up at the moon. Over this lake on the balcony of our hotel room, and I was just out there looking at the moon. It was beautiful in Georgia, this uh, beautiful lake. Never forget the moment, you know, when the Spirit just spoke to my spirit about how there is another place. I have brought another place to all who have eyes to see. You are in that place, in me. Parallel universe, heaven has come. We, we use the phrase, in the spirit, being in the spirit. And it's almost like a charismatic kind of little thing that we have. All kind of thoughts come to us when we hear, in the spirit. You know, I don't know, falling down at revivals or miracles or, I don't know, but in the spirit, being in the spirit is, is having gone through a door, which is Christ, into another reality. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. It shall be within them. One of the biggest things God ever taught me about the kingdom of heaven is that it is a place. That's why he said, I go to prepare a place for, for you. Prepare a place for you. He brought that place. He himself. And placed that place in us. We in him. He in us. I don't know. I just. I can't get over this. This, this reality. Of. The, how he has brought us out of this earth. See the only way you can get free from law. And I'll get to the topic now. The, the only way you can get free from law. The only way you can get free from law. Is to die. And leave this earth. It's the only way. The only way you can escape law is to die and leave this earth. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He literally brought the whole human race into judgment and into death on the tree so we could all die 
See, technically, it's not so much that we're married, we were married to the law. It, it has the same result, but technically, we were not married to the law. We were married to the flesh. We were joined to the flesh under law, which is just kind of the same thing. We were bound, we were bound to the law because we were in the flesh of this realm. If you want to be real technical about it, that's really what we were. That's, our husband was really the flesh. Our husband, as the analogy that Paul brings out in Romans 7, the analogy really is the husband and wife is you, your real you on the inside, your invisible you, your inner man, the real you, which was dead to the life of God, was joined to this creation, the outward flesh. The dead you, spiritual you, joined to this creation is a definition of the old man. We were married to this flesh. Jesus took on flesh and blood so that the husband could die. So I could die. This, this flesh could die. So, so the son of Adam could die. So I was married or joined to this flesh, this creation, but I was under law because I'm of this creation under law on this earth. So I'm bound to law, and the husband lives, and I can't marry another under the Jewish analogy here, I can't marry another unless my husband dies. So I couldn't, God couldn't join himself to me. I couldn't be joined to God because I'm in the flesh. I'm under law. I can never be good enough. And see, You see it? So when Jesus died, he died as me. My husband, so to speak, the flesh died. It's like as me. I was crucified with Christ. The old me died with him. To release the real inner me, the invisible inner me, to release the inner me. From this creation, from this realm, from this flesh. If this flesh, if this old man dies, then the law that I was bound to, I am released from. Free to marry another. The wife is free to marry another. The invisible me is free to marry another. Even Christ who was raised from the dead. The same Christ who died for me is the one who was raised for me so I can be joined to him in life. You see it? So the spiritual circumcision that took place when we believed was all happened on the cross. The cutting away of the body of the flesh is the, is the breaking of this marriage between me and the flesh. Me and the, this creation. To take the invisible me out and place the invisible me into him who is raised from the dead. Still in this body, but the body is no longer me. We have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power is clear to, clear to seem to be of God, not of us. This body is dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive now because of righteousness. This body is decaying day by day, but the spirit is being renewed day by day. We literally have been translated. He literally has cut away the inner man and placed the inner man in union with Christ, the risen Christ. Now Christ is in me and I am in him and the, and the son is in the father and the father is in the son. We are one. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that awesome? You have literally been moved out of the earth through the death of Christ and through the resurrection of Christ. It takes both. The death takes care of the judgment of sin, the atonement for all sin. How can he be the just? How can he be just and the justifier of the ungodly me? Because another, because of another took my judgment. So he remains just, yet the justifier of the ungodly who believes. And then in union with him, I live in an ascended life. He ascended. It's an ascended life. It's an ascended life, meaning it's always wanting to ascend. In the natural, we are bent to descend, to carnality, the the natural life. In the ascended life, we are bent 
to heaven. We, are, we, are, we have this natural, supernatural tendency to turn to God because of a new heart, because we made a partaker of the divine nature. And though the enemy may, may lie to you and say, oh, you know, you, you're still this, you're still that. But when the smoke clears, isn't it awesome to see how you ascend him? The life can't be held down. It's like a bunch of balloons trying to hold them all down. You know, the helium balloons, and they're, they're eventually that they can't help but go back to their father. You have the ascended life in you. Your tendency is, is a tendency toward the heavens. I don't care how much junk the enemy piles on you. Eventually, you're going to climb out of the junk and just start floating up again. To Papa. Because that's who you are. It's awesome. So we're free from the law. The scripture says, let me read this in Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant, the covenant of law, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second one. So finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Clearly talking about Mount, Mount Sinai. Because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers shall say, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to all their, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Kevin just wrote a, an email recently to a pastor talking about law and grace. And the, the pastor responded to Kevin and said, he said, surely you can't equate the laws concerning sacrifices and the ritual laws in the temple. You can't equate that with the Ten Commandments when they talk about being free from the law. So what he was saying, and what many people still say, pastors out there still say and think, that when this clear statement in Hebrews talks about an old covenant being done away and a new covenant coming in place, they reorder in their thinking that, oh, that can't mean the Ten Commandments. That must mean just the ritual laws of, of animals and goats and temple and priesthood and so forth. Where they miss it, though, is that, well, first of all, they miss where Paul said. Paul clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the, the law being the letters of death. Then he describes those letters of death as the ones who are engraved on stone. The only law that was engraved on stone were the Ten Commandments. All other law was written on books of leather. But the Ten Commandments were engraved on stone by the finger of God. Paul says what God wrote on stone are the letters of death and condemnation. They minister condemnation. 
and not righteousness. It's very clear that we're talking about the Ten Commandments. But that shouldn't even be a question because we're not talking about cutting pieces of the covenant and saying, well, well, this goes, this goes, this doesn't go. What, by what authority do you have, I'm talking, you know, theoretically, by what authority does this person have to say, I'm going to carve out parts of the old covenant and say that is gone, but this still remains. No, God talks in terms of contract and covenant. You know, you, you can't take a contract and say, okay, part of this contract remains and part of it doesn't remain. No, it's either the, the whole contract is gone and a new contract is written. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is harmonize the law and grace, trying to, trying to save the Ten Commandments. And the, and the root of their misunderstanding is this. They, I think what they think when we say we're free from law is that we're... Uh, um, I was talking to Tom and Pam about this. They, they, they think we're saying... If you say you're free from law, then you're saying then it's okay to sin, it's okay to steal, it's okay to commit adultery, it's okay to murder. And, of course, we're not saying that at all but, because they don't understand the concept of being under law. See, the Scripture says where there is no law, there's no transgression. There is still sin, but no transgression. You have to have law and sin for there to be transgression. Transgression means you owe something to God. You have transgressed. You, there, there will be repercussions from God because you have transgressed, you have sinned under law, therefore it is a transgression. But what if law is removed and you still sin? Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. So you still sin sometimes as a believer, but because you're not under law, it's not counted against you. In fact, the very wording of the new covenant is, I'll be merciful to all their iniquities, I'll forgive their sins, their lawless deeds, and I'll remember them no more. That's, that's the key to understanding the new covenant, because without that truth, you and I cannot be in union with God. That's why union with Him is only possible, because He has not only forgiven us all sin, but He has created us new in Him, a perfect new creation which doesn't have a past. He can't even join himself to us if he cleaned us up because we have a past. It has to be a new creation. It can't be your old man cleaned up. It has to be a new creation. And by definition, creation is something that happens instantaneously. God said, and it was. He's not still working on us. God said, and it was. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works that afterwards we merely just walk in them. What do you mean walk in them? Because they're already inside of you. The works, your works are inside of you. In your very new DNA, who you are is inside of you. No man can keep you from being who you are. The, your works, your calling, your ministry, your destiny is inside of you, not inside somebody else. We've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works that afterwards we must merely walk in them and let it manifest. The whole earth yearns for the manifestation of the sons of God. Manifest. See? But they don't understand this new way of God because they, they think that, that, that uh, love is not powerful enough. You know, Paul says in Romans 14, he says, he says, If there be any commandment, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. If there be any law, any law whatsoever, love fulfills everything. Which is an awesome thing when you think about it. That God who is love... If love fulfills every law that was ever given, it shows the source of law. God's the author. Because everything he pins can be fulfilled in love. Isn't that awesome? So now we live in this, in this new reality in union with him. And he teaches us how to live by him.
so life can simply manifest. Jesus tried to explain this when he said, you know, no man takes a shirt that has a hole in it and then goes to a new shirt and cuts a hole out of the new shirt so he could patch up, patch up the old shirt. He said, you sew that patch on that old shirt, it's not going to work because the old shirt's already shrunk. And this new piece of cloth on the old tear of this old shirt, when you wash it, it's going to pull away from it because it hadn't shrunk yet. So it's going to sh- it's gonna, the piece is going to pull away from the, where you sewed it. So that's not going to work. And you just ruined a good shirt with a hole in it. What did he say do? He says, throw away the old shirt with a hole in it. Throw away the old covenant. What does Galatians 4 say about the law and her child, about Hagar and Ishmael? Cast out the woman and her bond, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Cast out the law and the flesh. Cast it out. Don't even think that way. A new way has come. You must put new wine into new wineskins, Jesus said. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. It'll burst. You must put the new wine into new wineskins. But Jesus said, but men are used to drinking the old wine, and they say that old wine is better. In other words, they're slow to change. They don't want the new. I'm used to going to the temple. I got my routine. I got my lambs. I got my goats. I go to the temple, and I talk to the priest. I feel better about myself. I need something to see. I need to go up and see that temple and shed some blood. I feel better about myself if I do it that way. I don't know about this invisible stuff. See? We feel compelled to do something when we sin because we're not rooted and grounded in the invisible reality of Christ. Now the the appropriate response when we sin as believers is not to try to do something to atone for our sin, not to try to do something to do penance, but it's just simply to remember and be thankful. Remember that that sin is not being counted against me because of what he did. To eat the bread and drink the wine and say, I remember you, Lord. You who took away my sin. And I'm thankful. Teach me how to live by you in a better way so I don't manifest flesh. So I don't walk after the flesh. Teach me not to depend on myself. Teach me not to worry so much. Teach me not to fear so much. Teach me because all this worry and all this fear usually results in bad decisions. And it's usually not you. And I'm I'm in a mess. And I just thank you that you're not holding those things against me. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I remember you. You're my righteousness. And the real me inside of me wants to be free. The real me inside of me wants to be free. Help me to live by you. And you know what he'll do? He'll probably make you breakfast. (laughs) Peter denied him three times. Cursed and said, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. When Jesus needed him more than any time in his life, he needed needed Peter. Peter runs back to fishing. He's just just a picture of a loser. And Jesus is on the beach making breakfast for him. He says, come. Cooking fish. Bread. Talks to Peter. You know what he talks to Peter about? It's Peter. I think he said things like, Peter, remember when you, when you wanted to take your sword and fight for me in the garden? Remember you said you would die for me? I know, I know, I know. 
Peter. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm not disappointed, Peter. I have no confidence in your flesh. I told you, Peter, without me, you can do nothing. Have some of this bread. He's eating the bread, eating the fish. It's Peter, what it's really all about. Let my love so fill you that the one thing you do in this life, the one thing, is that you love me. You love me, Peter? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. But I don't know if I agape you, but I, I, I phileo you. I, I'm a, I love you as a brother. Do you love me, Peter? I, I, you know I love you, but I'm weak. I know, Peter. Do you even phileo me? Do you even love me as a brother? I do, I do, I do. I know I love you, at least as, as a brother. He smiles at him. Peter, you are not a reed shaken in the wind. You are a rock. I have made you so. I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. I love you, Jesus. Let's go. That's the kind of conversation the Lord has with us. When we fail, we blow it. He has no, he never is disappointed with you. Really let this get down deep in your heart. He is never disappointed in you. You know why? He has no expectation of the flesh but failure. And when you fail in the flesh, he's like, see? Told you so. And his expectation of his own life in you is out of this world. It's him. He goes, I can do anything through you. And his life never fails him. His life never fails him. It's awesome. And when it says in that passage, I will write my law in their hearts and minds and so forth, what, what he's saying there is he's, that is language that is referring to this new partaking of the divine nature that would come inside of us. That passage that says, no longer will they say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. He was referring to, under the natural law covenant, they were commanded to talk to their children day and night about the law, about the Lord. Tell them, about the, read the law to them morning and noon and night and tell them, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. Because it was an outward thing. It wasn't inside of them. The new covenant makes us a partaker of the divine nature. The very nature of God is in us. The one who wrote the law. And so they will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord. For they all shall know me. For as the scripture says, they all shall be taught of the Lord in this new covenant. We need no man teach you. 1 John chapter 2. You need no man. You need no man teach you. But the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth. And you shall abide within him. It's awesome. And why is this possible? He says, because, because I will be merciful to all their iniquities and remember their lawless deeds no more. A complete removal of sin, a complete removal of you. 
from earth, which is why Paul would say stuff like, why are you living as if you're still living in the world? Touch not, taste not. Why are you acting as if you're still living in this world? Would you please get it together? Don't you see that the world has been crucified to you and you to the world? Don't you realize you're not even here, really? Why are you acting as if you're still living in this world, submitting yourselves to decrees and traditions of men and so forth, trying to please a God that you think needs to be pleased? Don't you see, he says. He's like, don't you see this awesome mystery? We have been translated out of this realm into another kingdom of the beloved son through his death and resurrection and ascension. That ascended life is now in you. You have been released from earth. You're no longer you're released from law. You are totally now under grace in a different realm, a different reality, a different place. As we walk in this earth and these bodies, we're no longer from below but from above, Jesus said. It's an awesome, awesome reality that the Spirit's renewing our minds to. It's impossible to be under law because you're no longer of this creation. You're no longer of this creation. You are from above now. And your mother is Jerusalem, who is above. awesome and and we need each other so bad to encourage each other that's why Paul says speak the truth one to another that's what he's talking about this truth we need to speak the truth to each other this truth of how we are not of this place anymore, of how much he loves us, of how he is one with us and we with him, how he has removed our sin from us. We need to speak this truth one to another. That is what builds us up, the scripture says in Ephesians. The scripture says that when he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. When he ascended on high, he gave the gifts. You know why? Because the gifts come from the ascended life to lead us to the ascended life. See, it says, when he ascended on high, that's when he poured out the gifts to the body of Christ. For what purpose? To feed and encourage and lead all men to see what he has done in his ascension. That we might all come to the fullness of the maturity of the Son of God and rest in this truth, in this reality. This is what Jesus meant when he says, if you keep following me, if you keep following me, you're going to know the truth. And the truth will make you free. The big truth, you know what the big truth is? The big truth is, as he is, so are you now. Hallelujah. As righteous as he is, where he is in the heavenlies. Loved by God as the Father loves the Son. He loves you just as much as the Son. John 17, Father, that they may realize that you love them as much as you love me. All co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God as he is, so are you. That's the big truth. That's the big truth. That's the big deal. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? That's the truth, yes. You are as Christ is. He made it so. 
Enjoy it. The truth will make us free. Hebrews is the book, one of the books that just opens the veil to take us from the copies of the heavenly things to the heavenly things themselves that we might go boldly into the presence of God by the blood of another to the true tabernacle, not the one made by hands, not of this creation. So we live the rest of our days on this earth in heaven, within. Bringing that heaven to others in our kindness, in our joy, in our encouragement, in our twinkle in our eye, in our lack of fear, bringing that heaven to others, being a witness of the good news of the kingdom of heaven that has come within us through the Spirit because of what Christ did. Right on cue, Lord. Thank you so much. Lord, we just bless you so much. Thank you for helping us see these awesome truths in the book of Hebrews. And we just thank you so much, Lord. We thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We eat the bread. We drink the wine. We remember. We remember you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you rejoice over us with singing. Bless your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.